I thank the eldership for the, the honor, the great privilege of standing before you today and sharing a lesson from God's Word with you. You know, there's an old adage that uh, we as humans have, when all else fails, read the directions. We as human beings don't follow directions well. We don't like instruction. And for that very reason, we uh, never get where we need to be. For that reason, our meds don't work and we're still sick. For that reason, things aren't assembled and things aren't put together the way they need to be. Now, I like the story of the man who went to the doctor. And his foot and his ankle was swollen terribly. And he went to the doctor. The doctor had him sit up on the exam table. The doctor examines his, his ankle and his foot there, and he says, I think I can help you. He said, take this pill, and it was a pill about the size of one that choked a horse. He said, take this pill, and I'm going out and get you some water. So the man, he's waiting there on the table, and the doctor doesn't come back. He waits, and he waits, and he grows impatient. He knows he needs to be taking this pill if he's going to get better because his foot is killing him. So he knows there's a water fountain just right outside in the hallway. So he hobbles on out to the hallway and takes that pill. And after drinking and drinking and drinking water, he finally manages to swallow that big pill. He hobbles back in and jumps back up on the table. And finally, the doctor gets back in. And he is carrying this huge bucket of hot steaming water. He sits it down at the foot of the patient and he says, Now... Take that pill I gave you, put it in the water, and let it dissolve. And you soak your foot in it for 30 minutes, and I guarantee you, you're going to feel better. We don't like directions. In life, it can cause us problems. It can cause us instructions. It can cause us troubles. It's important for us as humans to follow directions, to do as we're told but none more so than matters spiritual, in matters pertaining to God. We must not only listen carefully, but we must obey fully. If you haven't done so already, be taking your Bibles and turn to the fifth chapter of Second Kings. The fifth chapter of Second Kings. Now, while you're turning to that, let us set up the context that we're going to be studying today. When First Kings ended... We read of the death of King Ahab of Israel. Now, as you know, the kingdom of Israel was divided at this time. After the death of Solomon, there were two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah had some good kings. The northern kingdom of Israel had no good kings. They were all evil. And the worst of the kings was King Ahab. Well, we read in the last chapter of 1 Kings that there was a certain Syrian archer, that in the battle between the Syrians, the northern neighbors of the Israelites, and the Israelite army, that there was a certain Syrian archer who drew an arrow, released it, and by the providence of God, it hit King Ahab, struck him between his armor, and Ahab eventually died. Now, we're not told in the Scripture who this Syrian archer was. But Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us it was a man by the name of Naaman. 
And also Jewish tradition says it was Naaman as well. Now, whether it's the same Naaman we're about to study may or may not be. But we're told that the Syrian king promoted this archer to be a captain, a leader of his army. He was the hero of the battle with the Israelites. But if it is this same Nathan, we're going to find that this Naaman had a serious problem. He was a leper. Now, leprosy uh, is a horrible disease. It's where your skin begins to scale and you lose feeling on your extremities. Eventually, the joints in your toes and your fingers rot and fall off. And other parts of your body and your face also fall off. It's a horrible disease, and it leads to a very tragic death. So, fifth chapter, Second Kings. Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. And he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. He was a great man. He was courageous. He was honorable. But we're told he was a leper. Now, the Lord had given a great victory to Syria through this man. Israel may have been God's people, but at this moment in time, Israel was wicked. Israel was disobedient to the will of God. God often used the neighboring countries round about Israel to punish them, to have them repent and bring them back in line. At this moment in time, God uses Syria. Because Syria had defeated Israel, this made Israel servant to Syria. It made the now king of Israel, Joram, subservient to the king of Syria. So with this in context, we'll study about Naaman here. Verses 2 and 3. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now one of the things that often happened when an army gained victory They would send out companies, they would send out parties, they would send out raids down into the country that they'd uh, uh, had their victory over. And they enjoyed the spoils of war. They took what they wanted. Sometimes they took captives as well that they sold into slavery. We read of one such girl here, a little girl, who either given into the household of Naaman or sold into the household of Naaman, waited on Naaman's wife. Well, we can imagine that in the course of being in that household of Naaman, she comes upon Naaman and what his tragic circumstance is of his leprosy. And she reveals to the mistress, Naaman's wife, that if only Naaman was down in Israel in the city of Samaria, there's a prophet in Samaria that can heal him of this leprosy. Now, notice the faith of this little girl. Now, She could have been very bitter. She is taken away from her family, from her homeland, into a strange country, into a strange family. She could have not cared at all. She could have very, really wanted him dead. And yet she's willing to share good news 
with those people that she is with now. There's a lesson we can learn here. We need to be ready to share good news with those people we're around. Wherever we may find ourselves in life, we've got good news that we need to be sharing. The good news of the gospel of Christ, that there is a Savior that has died for mankind. We need to find opportunity to tell others. Just as this girl found the opportunity to reveal something that might help. Naaman. So verse, verse 4 then. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid, This is of the land of Israel. Now we can surmise that Naaman's wife told Naaman about it, and it is Naaman himself who's going in and telling the king of Syria about this. He tells him what this girl has said, that there's a healing down in Samaria. So the king of Syria then says in verse 5, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. The king will send a letter with Naaman. This letter will first go to the king of Israel. There's a protocol when you're going into that country. You go to the leader first. You go to the king, and then the king will direct you to where you need to go. See, it was to the Syrian king's benefit that this one be healed, that Naaman be cleansed of his leprosy. He was a hero. He was a great commander of his armies. He wanted them healed. He needed him for future battles. So he's going to do all that he can. He sends with Naaman a gift, a reward for the healing that he would receive. So verse 6, and Naaman brought the letter to the king of Israel. Now look what the letter said. Now when the letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Naaman brings this letter, as he was instructed, as he should through protocol, brings it to King Joram of Israel. And that letter says, in effect, you will heal my servant. Remember, Israel is subservient to Syria. So how does the king of Israel take this? Look at verse 7. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes. And he said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. He rent his clothes. He tore his clothes. This was a common sign in that day and age of remorse or grief or even anger, as it is in this case. The king of Israel, Joram, has a fit. He asked him, I God? And I can't cure him. See, he thought the Syrian king was trying to pick a fight with him. You know, and, and trying to understand how this came about and what upset the king. I, I tried to relate it to something that might happen. Now, we all know that Tony Lawrence it, it, it is an authority on computers. He knows everything about computers. Contrast that with myself. I know nothing. I barely have enough sense to know how to turn a computer on. So just as an example, suppose Tony sends his laptop to me, and it's got a note with it saying, fix my computer. Now, how would I deal with that? 
I would say probably, what's he sending this computer to me for? He knows I know nothing about computers. He knows I can't fix this. He just wants to show me up. He just wants to show and tell everyone, I sent this to Ray, but he couldn't fix it. Tony's trying to pick, uh, pick a fight with me. So I can understand King Joram. I can understand his anger. I can understand his frustration. What I cannot understand is that he did not know that there was a prophet of Israel that could heal Naaman. He did not know because he did not believe. He did not know because he did not serve God. So look what happens in verse 8 now. And it was so when Elijah, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come unto me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. The prophet Elijah, who replaced the great prophet Elijah that was before him, Elijah heard what had happened, either through God or through somebody there in the palace, and he sends word to the king, You send him to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. And maybe the king would find out as well. So look what happens now, verse 9. And Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Naaman and his entourage, his servants, his attendants, his soldiers, his chariots, the wagons bearing all those gifts of gold and silver and uh, the raiment that was brought with him, is there before the house of Elijah. Can you just see that? I'm sure that was a great spectacle in that time. You know, in our day and age, when we have a presidential motorcade, that's still a spectacle to see. We see those limousines and those flags and those motorcycle riders and those dark secret service vans. and It's impressive. I'm sure in that day and time, to see this procession, this convoy that was with Naaman, was impressive to behold. Right outside the door of the house of Elijah. So look what happens now. Verse 10. And Elijah sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again unto thee, and thou shalt be clean. Notice Elijah did not, Elijah did not even go out to meet this man. He sends a messenger to Naaman. And he told him what to do. You are to wash in the river Jordan seven times, and you'll be cleansed, you'll be healed. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That's easy to understand. I'm sure he was happy to do that, and he obeyed immediately, right? No. No, he didn't. Look what happens in verse 11. But Naaman was wroth, that's angry, and he went away, and he said, Behold, I thought. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand, that's wave his hand, over the place, the place where he had the leprosy, over the place and recover the leper. See, Naaman gets angry. He did not like the way he was treated here. The man did not even come out and see me. He sends a messenger. He sends an errand boy to see me. Does he not know who I am? One has said, 
he expected to be treated like a great man who happened to have leprosy. But he was treated like a leper who happened to be a great man. And there's a big difference between the two. That difference is a thing that's called pride. And look what he says. Behold, I thought. I thought. See, he had already had it made up on his mind how it was going to happen, how it was going to play out. All that time, that long trip from Syria down into Israel, he had already had this played out in his mind, just as we as humans do. Know exactly what's going to happen, what's going to be said, how he's going to be treated, how he's going to be honored, just exactly how it's going to play out. We do that same thing. Then we get upset when our expectations are not met. When our expectation does not become reality. I want to share this with you. Give you an example. Now, I love the game of golf. I love everything about golf. I love its history. I love the history of the players, the old clubs, the old balls. Oh, I just want to read everything about it. See everything I can on TV. Well, in watching golf, they, they always promote themselves. And they promote, you need to visit the World Golf Hall of Fame. And I've seen that for years, and I've always wanted to go to the World Golf Hall of Fame. I never listened to it to the end of it, because I just assumed it was over in Scotland. That's the home of golf. But I listened one time several years ago, and it's outside of St. Augustine, Florida. Well, we go to Florida occasionally, so let's make a trip to go down to St. Augustine. So a few years ago, the little general and I, we go down to St. Augustine. And, and, and I tell her, I said, we're going to block around one whole day, one whole day just to soak up that golf hall of fame. I don't even know if I can see it in one day. I might need to. So I was so looking forward to that, the whole trip. Great expectations. Now, I'm not sure what I really expected. But I, I knew it was going to be something lavish and something grand and something opulent and dazzling and mouth-watering, and there'd be guards that would have to pull me back from the exhibits because I was drooling all over it. I just knew it was going to be so great. Well, it was okay. See, my, my expectations were this huge, and the reality was so small, what it was really like. And, and I came away disappointed. I came away feeling taken advantage of at what it cost. And yes, I was a little upset, however irrational that may be, because it failed to meet my expectations. It failed to meet what my mind and my heart needed and wanted. So I understand Naaman a little bit here. He goes away angry. He leaves. He has been told what to do to be healed, and he goes away. He is so close to being healed. And yet now he's so close to losing that healing. He just leaves. Where's he going? He's going back to Syria. He's mad. See, he thought he had to do something grand. That's how he had it played out. And all he had to do was something simple. Washing the Jordan River seven times. So look what happens now. Verse 12, he's still angry. He's saying, 
Are not Abinah and Parfar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He was angry. Now he's in a rage. He's worked himself up into a hissy fit. The Abinah and Parfar are rivers in Damascus. Damascus is the capital of Syria. And those two rivers were known for being beautiful rivers. They were deep and they were bright and they were clear. And the river Jordan was muddy, murky, foul, polluted. Why can't he wash in those rivers in Damascus? They're beautiful rivers. If all I've got to do is wash. So he goes away angry that he can't do what he wants to do. But now look at wisdom. Verse 12, uh, verse 13. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then? When he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean. I love the wisdom of these servants. They tell him, You would have done something great if that's, all, if that's what he asked of you. If he would have told you to be healed, to cleanse of that leprosy, do this great thing, you would have done anything. You would have sacrificed anything. But all he told you to do was something easy. Wash seven times in the Jordan River. So, verse 14. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. See, he had come so close to missing out on something that was great. He had come so close to missing out on something that he needed because of his pride. Because it did not make sense to him. Because it did not meet his expectations. He came so close to dying as a leper. We need to be warned. Too many times we have come so close. So close to spiritual healing. But we just like Naaman then, we turn away. We turn away. Because it's not what we wanted to hear. Because it it doesn't make sense to us. Because it's not what I thought it would be. Because our pride tells us that we don't want to. We need to be warned of that sin of pride. Like Naaman, too many of us think, I thought, and we get upset. When the Word of God is different from what we expect it to be. We get upset when the Word of God is different from the way our parents lived, the way our grandparents lived. We need to learn to accept with humility, not pride what God's Word says, and then humbly obey that Word. He did. He obeyed. He followed God's directions there in verse 14. He went down into the Jordan River seven times. And He was healed. He was restored. He was cleansed of what ailed Him. We too, as sinners, we can be cleansed. We can be healed if we only obey God's Word. Now look what happens, verses 15 and 16. 
And he returned to the man of God. He and all his company and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he, that is Elijah, said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. He returned to the man of God. Remember, he's in the Jordan River. The man of God was back in Samaria. So he had left. He had went away. Now, when we read that he went back again, unless we look it up on the map, we don't understand what that meant. That was about 20 or 30 miles. He had to go back. One way. 20 or 30 miles. What did he want to go back for? To thank him. This is a good man. He wanted to show his thanks, his appreciation for being healed. And he wanted him to take some of these gifts. And that was a slow travel, those 20 or 30 miles back to the man of God. He got that huge caravan, those slow-moving wagons, all that he had with him. But he makes that journey. And he goes before him then. And he tells him, notice what he tells him, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He knew that there was just one God, one God only, the God of the Bible. Jehovah God, our God, the creator of the universe. He is so much wiser than so many people on this earth today who would follow any and many gods. There is but still one God upon this earth, and it is the God that we read about in the Bible. It's the God of creation. It's the God that we love. It's the God that we worship, and it's the God that we serve. And there is but one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and there is one way to him. Jesus Christ said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. There's only one way to God, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. The world today will tell you there's many paths to heaven. There is not. There is but one way. It's interesting to note that in the New Testament, Elijah, the great prophet Elijah, is mentioned 29 times. Do you know how many times the prophet Elijah is mentioned in the New Testament? One time. One time. And that's where Jesus is making a point about faith. In Luke 4, 27, we have these words. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet. None of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Many were lepers, but only Naaman, the Syrian, the heathen, the Gentile, was cleansed. He had the faith to obey the word of God. Naaman could not have found healing. He could not have found cleansing if he did not obey. If he did not do exactly as God told him to do. We today can find healing. We today can find cleansing. We today can find forgiveness if but we obey God's word. This morning, do you need to obey the word of God? Do you need to put on your Lord in baptism? Are you a child of God that has strayed and realized that you're outside the fold of safety and you need to be restored to your first love? If you need to obey God's word, won't you come this morning as we stand and sing?